you turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Ruth and chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, uh, and we'll read from verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said to her, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings, or uh, spread the corner of your garment over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are uh, a woman, uh, sorry, you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. And then let's go to chapter 4 and verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, my friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the uh, manner of attesting in Israel. Amen. I mean, oh God will always bless uh, the reading of his own inspired word. Now, if you remember back to our last study, uh, Ruth had gone to the threshing floor at the time of barley harvest to lie at Boaz's feet. And when he woke in the middle of the night, I think he tickled her toes. She tickled his toes uh, because it's, we're told that he was startled. At least his toes became cold because uh, she pushed back the, the, the covering on his feet. Uh, well, he w woke up and he asked in chapter 3 in verse 9, Who are you? After her identifying herself as Ruth, Ruth asked Boaz to spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer or spread the corner of your garment over me 
Now, we notice that phrase, spread the wings, your wings over me, or spread the corner of your garment over me, was a euphemism, a Hebrew euphemism for marriage. Uh, This young woman took the bold and daring step and asked this man to marry her. And even in Orthodox Jewish weddings today, when the groom stands beside the bride and the rabbi pronounces them husband and wife, the uh, rabbi or the, the, the groom will take the, his prayer shawl and he will wrap it round his bride to show that she is coming uh, under his care and under his protection. Now, the reason why Ruth took the initiative and made such a bold and daring step is given to us at the end of verse 9, for you are a redeemer. For you are a redeemer. The authorized version says near kinsman. Probably the NIV, at least the 1984 edition of the NIV, is the best translation because it brings the AV and the NIV together, or the AV and the SV together, and translates it as kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew word is the word goel, and uh, I mentioned this in a previous study, uh, but because of the richness of the thought that lies behind that word goel, I I want to uh, concentrate on that this evening. Indeed, you could argue that the uh, concept of the kinsman redeemer, the goel, is the overarching theme in the whole book of Ruth. Now, before we begin, I think it's important that we understand that the picture of the kinsman redeemer given to us in Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament, Yahweh is repeatedly referred to as the kinsman redeemer. That psalm that we opened uh, our service this evening with, Psalm 19, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Goel, the same word, my kinsman redeemer. Isaiah 47 and verse 4, our redeemer Our Goel, our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Almighty is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. And you could go on and on to references in the Old Testament concerning the kinsman redeemer. Yahweh is pictured as the kinsman redeemer. The Old Testament people of God saw something in the role of the kinsman redeemer that reminded them of Jehovah. Now much was mystery to them. How could God be our kinsman? What was the redemption price that would have to be paid? We have to wait to the New Testament to complete the picture. But Yahweh was like the kinsman redeemer. And in the New Testament, Peter tells us that we were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So when we look at Boaz in his role as the kinsman redeemer, he reminds us of Jehovah in the Old Testament, but more significantly, he points us forward to Christ in the New Testament. Now, obviously, they're not the same. 
Uh, Boaz was a literal kinsman redeemer. Christ is our spiritual kinsman redeemer. But there are parallels, and those parallels are very instructive. Notice, first of all, this evening, the function of the kinsman redeemer. Now, the word redeem in Greek, in Hebrew, and in English means to buy back, to buy back. If you uh, make the final payment on your mortgage, you redeem your deeds. You buy back the deeds of your property. Now, the kinsman redeemer was a member of the family that had certain obligations to his close relatives. He was responsible to redeem uh, a member of the family from poverty, from slavery, and from extinction. So, first of all, from poverty. When God divided up the land at the time of Joshua and assigned uh, the different uh, portions of land to the different tribes and to the different clans and to the different families, he was concerned that that land would uh, um, uh, remain in the hands to, uh, of the people to which it was originally assigned. That so some entrepreneur couldn't come in and buy up all the land and, and claim all the land for himself. So in his law, every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, all the land that had been mortgaged or sold had to be returned to the original families to which it was originally allocated. Now, if during those 50 years there was a near relative who was wealthy enough, he could redeem or purchase back the land for the family. Now, please turn with me. I want you to actually see this for yourself. If you could turn back to the book of Leviticus in chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 23. And keep your finger there or put your Bible ribbon there because we'll go back to it uh, in a moment or two. But Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 23. Leviticus 25 verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess process, you shall not uh, allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, then uh, uh, and he himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it. Let him calculate the year since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man uh, whom he, uh, to whom he sold it, and then returned to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he has sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. Now that's exactly what Boaz did for Ruth. As her kinsman redeemer, he purchased the land back that originally had belonged to Elimelech. So the uh, function of the kinsman redeemer was to redeem from poverty, to buy back the land on behalf of the family, uh, land that had been sold at a time of financial crisis. Secondly, the kinsman redeemer not only redeemed from poverty, but from slavery. 
Again, in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 47. Leviticus 25, verse 47. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. So if an Israelite was uh, forced through uh, financial pressure to sell himself into poverty, the kinsman into slavery, the kinsman redeemer could buy him back and purchase his liberty. Now, Ruth and Naomi were not yet slaves, but there is indication in the text that their situation and their plight was so dire that that would have been the next step to sell themselves into slavery. You look at chapter 2 and verse 13. She, uh, Ruth herself hints at this to Boaz. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, uh, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She calls Boaz Lord and identifies herself as his servant. And there seems to have been this very real um, um, possibility that if Boaz hadn't come to their rescue, Naomi and Ruth would have had to sell themselves into slavery to be looked after. So the kinsman redeemer, redeemed from poverty, from slavery, and from extinction. It's very important to notice in the text that Boaz wasn't simply acting to redeem Ruth's property, but to redeem Ruth. Ruth asks Boaz to marry her on the basis that he is the kinsman redeemer. So it is clear that one of the functions of the kinsman redeemer was to provide an heir for the dead man's widow. Look at uh, chapter 4 and verse 5. Uh, then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. This was known as the Leverite Law, and it's recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Uh, and it was very important that the, the name of the Israelite would be continued in Israel. And if a man died without an heir, his brother would marry the widow, and the first son born of that relationship, of that marriage, would carry the dead man's name. Now, from Ruth, we know it was also the function of the kinsman redeemer to provide an heir for the dead relative. So those are the three primary functions of the kinsman redeemer, to redeem from poverty, to redeem from slavery, and to redeem from extinction. Now, likewise, our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, redeems us from poverty, from slavery, and extinction. As sinners alienated from God, we are spiritually bankrupt we are spiritually impoverished. We are, as the Lord Jesus said, 
poor in spirit. Within us dwells no good thing. We're also told in the Bible that we're slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to the devil, slaves to death. We, we also have no ab- enduring, abiding worth before God. When we're cut off before Him, our names are blotted out from His presence. But our great Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, comes and He rescues us from spiritual bankruptcy. He lavishes upon us the riches of His grace. He snaps the shackles of slavery and liberates us from sin and its terrible consequences. And He provides for us an enduring inheritance that will uh, not fade or rust or decay in any way. That's the function of the kinsman redeemer. Secondly, notice the identity of the kinsman redeemer. Who was this kinsman redeemer? Well, first of all, he had to be a near relative. Look at chapter 3 and verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. So the kinsman redeemer had to be a close relative of the person that was needing to be redeemed. Now, this is where the Old Testament saint would have scratched his head in amazement and pondered how this could ever be. How could God, the great transcendent Yahweh who dwells in unapproachable light, how could He ever be our kinsman? We're His creatures. There's no relationship between us and Him. There's distance between us and Him. But with New Testament eyes, we see how this was fulfilled. That God the Son took human flesh and was formed in the womb of a virgin. And He makes Himself one of us. He becomes our kinsman. He became flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. You look at uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 12, or chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12. We're told both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's part of our family. He's our elder brother. He's our kinsman, our kinsman redeemer. So the kinsman redeemer had to be a near relative. Secondly, he had to be a wealthy near relative. To redeem the kinsman redeemer had to pay the redemption value, the years remaining up to the year of Jubilee. So it follows that the kinsman redeemer must have the financial wherewithal to actually make the purchase and to actually redeem. Let's think again about this again about the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the the price that he paid for our redemption? Well, we have already quoted that verse in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, that we were redeemed by the precious blood of of Christ. Now that word precious is translated by the word valuable in James 5 and verse 7 and by the word costly in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 12. Indeed, there was no other person who could have paid the cost 
needed in order to redeem sinful men and women, to redeem our souls from poverty, slavery, and extinction. The blood of Christ is of inestimable value. And so the price that was paid, the shedding of his own blood, was acceptable as the redemptive, re redemptive price to God. So the identity of the kinsman redeemer, he had to be a near relative. He had to be a wealthy near relative. And then thirdly, he had to be a willing wealthy near relative. The kinsman redeemer needed to be willing to redeem his relative. The law of God expected the kinsman redeemer to act on behalf of his impoverished relative, but it didn't require it. Look at chapter 3 and verse 13. Remain tonight, Boaz says to Ruth, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, I will redeem you. Now we know that the nearest kinsman redeemer to Naomi wasn't willing to redeem because they would become financially dependent upon him and... Uh, and uh, he didn't want to carry that burden. But Boaz was willing to redeem. Ruth did not know that, of course, until she asked the question, but Boaz was willing to redeem. Now, our kinsman redeemer is willing to save. There's no question. There's a willingness in the heart of Christ to save uh, those who are lost. He has declared his willingness to save. He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to a knowledge of the truth. There is no doubt in the, uh, in the Word of God as far as this concern is concerned that Christ is willing to save. You may say, I'm such a terrible sinner. There's no hope for me. Yes, there's hope for you. I'm not sure if he wants me. I'm not sure if he'll accept me. I'm not sure if he'll take me. He is willing to save all who come to him in the way that he has outlined and the way that he has determined by repentance and by faith, by facing up to the problem of sin and putting your trust in him, he will receive. There's no doubt about this whatsoever. He is willing to save. He is able to save. And those that come to him, Jesus himself said, he will never drive away. If you're not a Christian tonight, there's only one reason why you're not a Christian, and that is because you're not willing. You're not willing for the cost that's involved in attaching and depending upon the kinsman redeemer. So the identity of the kinsman redeemer, he had to be a near relative. He had to be a wealthy near relative. And he had to be a willing wealthy near relative. The third thing I, I want you to notice is the means uh, of the kinsman redeemer. When Boaz redeemed Ruth, he did it in a certain way. He did it in a certain manner. He employed a certain method. He used a certain means. Notice, first of all, that he redeemed her legally. When Boaz responded to Ruth's proposal of marriage, he did so by saying that there was a, a relative closer than him and that according to the law, uh, it was his right to have first refusal 
on paying the redemption price. Look at chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Now, obviously, Boaz had fallen for Ruth a big time, even before she tickled his toes at the threshing floor, because he had gone and found out what relationship Naomi had to him and how close was that relationship and whether or not he was the legitimate kinsman redeemer. But he wanted to do it right. He wanted to do it according to God's law. And since the obligation of the kinsman redeemer fell on the nearest relative, there was some legal issues to be sorted out. Notice in chapter 4 and verse 1, we find Boaz at the town gate in the presence of the town elders. Now that's significant because the town gate was the place where legal matters were settled. It was the official judicial setting in ancient Israel. It was equivalent to the local magistrate's court. Notice in verse 8 of chapter 4, they exchange sandals, which was a legal way of not signing, but exchanging a, a contract. Boaz didn't allow his feelings to run away with him. He wanted to redeem Ruth, but he wanted to do it legally, rightfully, and judicially. The same is true of our redemption. God is righteous. God is just. And God, being unchanging, must maintain his justice and must punish sin. The demands of a broken law had to be met. God couldn't just forgive sin unilaterally, turn a blind eye to it, turn his back on it, sweep it under the, the mat. That sin, that sin, that broken law had to be dealt with. And it had to be dealt with in a legal way. If you turn to those well-known verses in Romans chapter 3, you just see how that was uh, worked out in practice. Uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, which every Christian uh, of any age should be able to quote off the top of their head. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through, notice this, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness or, or God's justice because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And then verse 26, it was to show his righteousness, justice at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you see that? How is God going to maintain his justice in his sworn determination to punish every sin ever committed in the world and at the same time to justify, to save a people for himself? Well, Christ was the redemption price. He was put forward as a propitiation for our sin, that one who was to die in our place to bear the punishment for our sin, that we might be legally, justifiably 
forgiven. That, that he was determined to be just and the justifier of his people. And here the great mystery is solved. How can God be the just, be just and the justifier at the same time? That his sentence against sin is legally, justly, and fully met in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the kinsman redeemer then redeemed uh, legally. He redeemed lovingly. There's no question about Boaz's affection for Ruth. He wasn't simply acting out of a, a sense of cold, sterile duty or naked external obedience to the law of God. He redeemed her because he loved her. Look at the tones of affection in chapter 3 and verses uh, 10 and 11. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Same word as Proverbs 31, a virtuous, a virtuous woman. He was attracted to Ruth's Beauty to her godliness, to her character, sufficiently enough to make inquiries about her and what his relationship was to her, that he knew that there was a kinsman redeemer closer than him. That is true that sometimes the kinsman redeemer acted out of selfishness, as the unnamed kinsman redeemer does in chapter 4. He thinks it's a a quick way of adding to his assets. He thinks he's getting Naomi. Naomi is old. She's past the stage of bearing children. He can't father a child to her. Uh, she'd soon be dead and he would have all the land. But he didn't know that Ruth came in the package. It's only then that he draws back because he thinks that the Ruth will threaten his own inheritance. But Boaz acted because he loved Ruth. He wasn't the nearest kinsman redeemer. He was under no obligation to redeem her at all, but he redeemed her because he loved her. Now that's the only explanation of our redemption. Ruth had at least some things going for her. She was attractive. She was hardworking. She had a godly character. Verse 11 tells us that she was the talk of the people, the townspeople of Bethlehem. They admired her. But there was nothing lovely in us. Nothing to arouse the attention of our kinsman redeemer. We were corrupt, rebellious, wicked, wicked sinners, sin lovers and God haters. Yet he loved us and he redeemed us and he brought us into his family. Abraham Kuyper says, divine love, unlike human love, is not dependent upon its object. The Christian can say in the words of Paul and say these words with wonder and amazement, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He redeemed us to be his bride, unlovely though we are, because he loved us. God loved us when there was nothing good to be seen in us and nothing good to be said of us. 
And that's the only explanation of the gospel. And God taking this initiative as our kinsman redeemer, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And each of us should stand and sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Boaz redeemed legally, lovingly, sacrificially. Thirdly, it's important for us to understand that redemption was a costly business. Indeed, this is why the unnamed kinsman redeemer of chapter 4 on hearing of Ruth immediately backs away. You see, according to the Leverite law of Deuteronomy 25, the first son that was born to such a marriage would not be the kinsman redeemer's son, but the dead man's son to carry on the dead man's name. And so Obed, uh, who was born to Ruth, was not technically Boaz's son. If you just look at verse 10 of chapter 4, verse 10, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malian, I have brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brothers and from the gate of his native place. And so, for no personal gain for himself, the kinsman redeemer raised a child for another man. There was a sacrifice to be made. Now, we have already touched on the cost of our redemption the cost to the kinsman redeemer, his, his precious blood. It was a costly business. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. He uh, left the divine right to be worshipped. He set aside his glory and majesty, his dignity and respect, the fact that he was the object of the adoration of the heavenly hosts of heaven. And he came to the womb of a virgin. He came to the manger in Bethlehem, came to the obscurity of Nazareth, and came to the cross of Calvary. It was costly. It was costly for him to redeem. We were redeemed by the precious, the costly blood of Jesus. The means uh, of the kinsman redeemer. And then lastly and quickly, the blessing of our kinsman redeemer. I just go back to uh, chapter 2 and verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Do you remember that expression? That, uh, that Ruth had come to take refuge under the wings of Jehovah, under the protection, into the protection of Jehovah. Now look at verse uh, 9 of, of uh, Ruth uh, chapter 3. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. It's not a, it's not a lovely picture of marriage that... That, um, that the husband spreads his, the corner of his garment, the, the prayer shawl, over his bride to symbolize that she's close to his heart. She's in his presence. She's living under his protection. 
but that phrase could be translated under the wings of Jehovah, which maybe is a, a reference to the uh, Holy of Holies, to the Ark of the Covenant, where the, the cherubim stretched out their wings towards each other, and, and God sat and uh, dwelt in the, the, the wings of the cherubim, and uh, the believer then comes under uh, the, uh, the wings of Jehovah, lives under the presence of God, under the cloak of God, under the protection of God. And it's interesting that that phrase, spread your garment, the corner of your garment over me, is used in Ezekiel to describe uh, Israel's marriage to Jehovah. And uh, every believer then is, is living under the protection of Je Yahweh, Jehovah. That we're he has spread his garment over us. We are near his heart. He, he will look after us. He will care for us. He will provide us. He will protect us. And he will ultimately bring us a home. Isn't that a wonderful picture of the kinsman redeemer protecting the one that he has redeemed, providing for her, redeeming her from uh, from poverty, from slavery, and extinction. This is what our God has done. We are, uh, if you're a believer tonight, you're, you're living under His wings. You're living under His protection. And He will look after you. Some, sometimes, sometimes you say to yourself, does He love me? Does He care for me? Will He provide for me? Well, the fact that he has redeemed you, the fact that he has shed his precious blood is proof, if proof be needed, of his love and interest in you. Every believer is, is living under the wings of Jehovah, living under the protection of uh, their kinsman redeemer. And ultimately, he'll not only care and provide and protect, but ultimately, he will bring us uh, safely into heaven. I just want to finish tonight by asking you, has he redeemed you? Has he redeemed you? Are you, are you living under his wings, under his protection? Sometimes people say to me, particularly in hospital, you know, I, I don't know how the non-Christian copes at a time like this. And the truth of the matter is they don't really cope. They just muddle along and they muddle through. But the believer has been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, and they're living under the wings, under the, the corner of the garment of their kinsman redeemer. And if you're not a Christian tonight, I would urge you to come and put your trust in Jesus Christ, not only as your Savior and Lord, but as your great kinsman redeemer who will protect you look after you and bring you safely into glory. Amen.